Welcome to Sustainable Non-Fungible Talk, a show about all things DAO and Web3 from the team of Sustainable DAO, which includes me, your host, Clarice Cho. Our expert guest today is Antoni DiMartino. Antoni is a financial industry veteran with global risk experience. He's the venture partner of Isteri Ventures and the US CEO of Metripod. Before that, Antoni worked with Coinbase, where he held several roles, including its head of risk strategies, institutional DeFi, and derivatives trading. Antoni has over two decades of experience running multiple financial service businesses with global banks such as HSBC, Barclays, and UBS. So, Tony, it's a pleasure to have you here. Would you like to share with our audience your background and how you get into blockchain industry? Sure. First, thanks for the, the invitation to chat today with you and your audience. I think the topics we're going to discuss are very timely and appreciate the, the kind of opportunity. What I would say, so how I got into the blockchain space, I was a traditional Wall Street trader for 20 years across UBS, Barclays, and HSBC. So I started in short-term interest rates, and then got to move into credit markets and finally ended up in emerging markets with a heavy focus on Latin America. My last role was at HSBC, running local markets trading. So it was one of the first areas where I started to understand the use cases of crypto without really understanding crypto at that point. It was, the, the use cases were embedded in my brain and then they came to light as I got deeper into the crypto space. So in early 2021, so the first week of February, I joined Coinbase. I joined Coinbase to lead the DeFi and derivative trading trading business. And then most recently, I joined Matrixport in June of this year, be the US CEO and head up the institutional business for our, our prime broker. Thank you, Anthony. That's so impressive. And uh, with leadership experience in traditional banking system and digital asset platform, would you like to share with us what's the similarity and the major differences between traditional banking and the digital asset platform? I think the traditional platforms are, the technology is, is quite, there's a lot of oligop oligopolies that have been created for, that underpin the market structure and keep a lot of how securities and payments move less than optimal. And I think this is where the digital asset space and the Web3 movement, these are the problems that will be eventually be solved. And you think about, we still have things like SWIFT and ACH that take multiple days to move cash across borders when we already have stable coins that can move cheap, fast, and in large size and still be somewhat under the purview of regulators. So these are solutions that exist now, yet the large, vast majority of payments are still handled via systems that were created 50 years ago. So I think that's kind of the major infrastructure additions I've noticed between the kind of traditional world and the, and the new world. And I think I'm very excited to be in the part of the ecosystem that's going to solve these problems, because I think it has benefits not only for traditional finance, but for, you know, for the normal consumer and most people in general. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. So we know cryptocurrencies are born to be volatile. 
Currently, crypto investments are more for innovators, early adopters, and institutions who have higher re- level of risk tolerance and greater knowledge toward the technology. W- what do you think should happen to bring crypto investment to mass adoption? Should crypto trading become a mainstream investment channel? I think you have to bring crypto into a couple different pieces. There's crypto, the infrastructure, which And the kind of innovation in the financial institution space, I think the things like perpetual futures are a real innovation. And I think it's a, it's a innovation that will be adopted by traditional finance products going forward. As far as trading of digital assets, some are risky, some aren't, some are very speculative, some are clearly Ponzi schemes or scams, right? So I think for, to get more mass adoption, when you talk about mass adoption, you're really talking about institutional adoption because most people who have wealth and assets invest that via larger financial players like your PIMCOs and your BlackRocks and, and your Fidelities, right? So most wealthy people have an intermediary in which they deal with. So most people don't do it themselves. Now that could be somewhat of a general generational as the kind of baby boomers retire and stop managing their wealth and the younger generations move up or much more hands-on. That could be an, that could be a trend we see in the future, but in general, most money is, is managed. So from, from that space, I think you want to focus on the mass adoptions, which means you're focusing on managed money. Managed money is regulated. We need to see further regulation in the space that will make these large institutions comfortable and really that innovation will unlock the bigger traditional institutions to get involved in the space. And I, I, you know, part of me thinks that the, the crypto space can only go so far without the traditional finance players getting involved and they're being held back, both the banks and the buy side, by regulation. Thank you. We know this year has been quite eventful for the crypto world. The collapse of Three Arrow Capital and the counterparties have caused investors to lose a certain level of confidence toward the crypto market. What do you think would help investors to restore this level of confidence? Would regulation or macro environment help? So I think if the macro environment quickly turns, I think there'll be less fear when it comes to facing different counterparties in the space. I, I don't think that would be healthy. I think the decisions that were made to lend to certain counterparties without the right infrastructure to evaluate the risk you're taking is always, is always a mistake, but it's an easier mistake to make when asset prices are doubling, tripling, quadrupling, right? FOMO is a, is a very strong force in financial markets, whether it be in crypto, equities, mortgages, credit. Um, FOMO is not, is not to just crypto, but To your point about how do we get confidence back in the market, confidence comes from counterparties. Counterparties, strong counterparties are typically regulated. They have big balance sheets. They have rigor around how they make economic decisions. And I think as more and more regulated, audited companies enter the space, the confidence will grow. That's from the kind of bilateral CFI side. I think from the DeFi side, just getting more trust in the infrastructure that's being built in DeFi. It's really, it's really hard to feel confident that DeFi is a space where banks and most of our borrowing and lending will move when we see this amount and this degree of, of hacks and exploits, right? We need to, the space needs to kind of mature. I'm still optimistic that DeFi will be a place where we can move away from having to know our counterparty to being in a more kind of trustless distributed ecosystem. But it's, it's, there's a lot of progress that's made from here to get there. Thanks, Anthony. We know you are also a partner at Istari Ventures. 
Would you please tell us more about Istari Venture and your investment thesis? Sure. So Istari Ventures is a, is a Web3 fund that's heavily focused on infrastructure and payment, specifically around payments. And when you think about payments, you start to think about regions. So as a region, we're really focused on Latin America. You know, understanding that most of our investments will be U.S.-based. Latin America is, if not the biggest, if not one of the biggest opportunities for growth because there's so many real-world use cases in Latin America for currencies that store value and that are able to be used as a medium of exchange outside of their local currencies. So heavily invested in the payments um, infrastructure and top of our lists are wallets and on-ramps, on-ramps and stablecoins. Would you like to share with us some portfolio highlights with your venture firm? Sure. So like I mentioned, some of our key areas of focus and what we already have in our portfolio are wallets and Coin98 being one of the uh, one of the bigger allocations of our portfolio to this point. On, in the payment space, we have C14 and LATAMX, and that obviously tips the cap to our LATAM focus. These are both on-ramp, off-ramps for both crypto. And, and then in the stablecoin space, we have a lot, we're putting a lot of focus on a stablecoin called Lago. Lago will be a token that will start to address not only the usability of payments, the security of having real-world assets securing securing the, the stablecoin, but will start to address the, the yield that can be generated from the underlying assets and how that now gets distributed to token holders. So those are really three of the highlighted, four of the highlighted projects inside of our investment thesis in the fund. I've heard that uh, Isteri Venture run an in-house community management team with over 20 crypto native community managers. And we all know community building is essential for all Web3 projects. Would you like to share more with our audience? Yes, for sure. So we are not, we are we are launching this fund to not only invest our money and our investors' money in these projects, but really invest our time and effort and skill sets. And that's why we have such a big team, such a diverse team of advisors with a number of different skill sets to not only help us pick the right projects, but help these projects succeed. We want to help our portfolio companies build their crypto community and support. And we do this by providing community managers slash moderators to help, to help our portfolio companies grow their presence. Right, really, really build their brand, have people dedicated to the products that they're building, not only from uh, a knowledge standpoint, but from a huge standpoint. And we believe staying close to our community will help us help us and help our portfolio companies build the right products and solve the right problems. And Tony, can you share with us a little bit more about uh, how you support uh, your portfolio companies? Sure. I'll take an example of, of Lago, which is building a stable coin, which is looking to solve a couple of different problems in the in the ecosystem. One is around the collateralization of stablecoins and ensuring that the collateral being used to back these stablecoins will always be sufficient because it's hard, it's impossible to see stablecoins grow where they're not stable, right? And that sounds like an obvious comment. So that's, I'm not saying algorithmic stablecoins are dead for good, but I, I think that the, the kind of episodes over the last year have put many of those projects on the back burner and people are now much more focused on projects where there's a stable collateral base. Going on from, from there, you know, as interest rates continue to rise, holders of stable coins are going to start to ask for 
for yield to be to be compensated for sitting in dollars, especially interest rates rise because inflation is high. Right. So if you go into an environment where interest rates continue to rise, inflation continue to go higher, it'll be hard for people who have access to fiat to sit in a stable coin and earn nothing. Right. It wasn't that big a deal when interest rates have been zero for the last almost 20 years. So this is a, a big issue. And I, and I think you're starting to see the first cracks in this when you, you saw last week that MakerDAO moved 1.6 billion of their USDC holding to Coinbase to earn one and a half percent. Right. The bigger holders of stable coins are going to start demanding yield on their stable coins. Right. And this this hits a crossroads around product innovation, because if you give someone something of value and you expect them to return more value, that's deemed a security. Right. And this is one of these things that hits a nexus with regulation. If you if you build a stable coin that pays a yield, um, it's could easily be deemed security and then exchanges will won't support that. So here at Astari, we're using our our expertise and our our partners to help advise a project like Lago on not only the economics of how the stablecoin can should be built, the security of how the stablecoin should be built, but also the regulatory aspect and the commercial aspect of of how these projects should evolve. So I think we're uniquely positioned because of our huge advisory network on top of the diverse skill sets we we have not only in the subject matter, but in the regions in which we operate. So that's kind of a, one of the projects that we feel very passionate about. And then we think that our core advisory base is, is well suited to help that project succeed. As an early stage blockchain fund, what's your evaluation criteria and how do your team make investment decisions? So we, we have a very thorough process that takes a tremendous amount of time, but for the for the for this podcast, I think I'd like to keep it high level, and I think the two two of our main focuses are when we're evaluating a company is are they solving a problem, right? Is there a problem they're solving, or is they are they solving a problem? Are they coming up with a solution and looking for a problem, right? We we find a lot of founders who said who can build a cool new toy, they just don't know who's going to use it yet. So we we steer pretty clear from those type of projects. So we look. We're very focused on, what, on problems being solved and the commercial aspect of those problems. The second is is the we're really focusing on strong teams, specifically strong teams that have crypto experience. We find plenty of people coming over from Web two or coming from tri- traditional finance trying to get into the Web three space who really don't have experience in this. And I think. Web3 is very different than, than Web2 and traditional finance. And it's, it's hard to invest in people who haven't had experience in the first place because it is very different. And it doesn't mean that um, people with no experience can't be successful, but the probabilities in our view are, are lower. When it, it has been a tough year for blockchain industry, how would the macro environment impact your investment strategies? So being a macro trader, most of my career, I have a very strong view on where we sit in the current economic cycle. Inflation is rampant around the planet and the dollar is in high demand. Typically, when the dollar is strong, investments and asset valuations struggle. So the I think we're going to be in this tough macro environment for the next couple of years. So we won't, I don't think we're going to go back to the early last year where prices were doubling, tripling, quadrupling, 10xing. I don't think we're in that environment for, for quite a while. That being said, I think this is a perfect time to 
not only build, but build the right projects. Be very focused on projects that solve, solve a problem and that have a commercial viability. It, on the, it also, what it also does is because the economic environment is slow, the input costs are starting to come down, right? Six months ago, you couldn't hire an engineer, right? You couldn't hire an engineer at a reasonable cost. Now, as the, the economy starts to slow and there's more layoffs at tech companies, you're starting to attract talent at a much more reasonable price because it, it's great to hear that everybody wants to build in a bear market, but they need to be conscious of how much cash they have on the balance sheet. And it's very difficult right now to raise money. So you need to be conscious of adding the right talent and being very focused and making sure that that's cost effective. Yeah, thank you, Anton. That's very insightful. And what role do you believe Web3 initiative or blockchain technology can play in addressing sustainability issues? So sustainability is a very broad topic. And I think what I'll do is I'll lean on my experience. So one aspect of sustainability is financial inclusion. And this is something that I had mentioned earlier in this podcast around Latin America and my experience in Latin America and how I saw the use case of crypto before I knew what really crypto really was. So in Latin America, most currencies, major currencies are non-deliverable, which means they don't freely flow across border. Other than Mexico, I believe every country of any size is, has a non-deliverable currency. Also, thematically across Latin America, high value items where you typically are seen to store wealth like real estate trades in dollars, right? So if you think about that, and on top of that, sorry, on top of that, most currencies are, have been highly inflationary and have been traded typically very weak to the US dollar, especially recently. So if you think of an environment where you live in a country where you experience high inflation and a very weak currency that compared to the dollar, and it's not that easy to convert your local currency into dollars or you don't have, legally can't convert it, like in places like in Venezuela and Argentina where you have capital controls. Yet the only real asset you can buy to store your wealth is real estate, and that trades in dollars. You can start to see how mass amount of people are not included in the economy or don't have the ability to store wealth or don't have the ability to grow their wealth or pass their wealth down to younger generations. So I really think, and, and this is a, not only a project that I'm interested in intellectually, but it's close to my heart because I do feel like we're not only building companies that will solve problems that will make money, but I also think it will help benefit the lives of millions, if not billions, that are underserved, especially from a financial perspective. Thank you, Antony. That's impressive. At last, as a Web3 trader, company manager, and investor, would you like to provide some suggestions to Web3 entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I'd say there's three, three pieces of advice I would give. One, solve problems. Don't come up with solutions and then look for problems to solve. I think that's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. The second is think the project lifecycle from start to finish. Many people come up with a really cool idea and they think about the problem they're going to solve, but don't follow it to the end, which is how are we going to monetize this and how are we going to exit, right? Because most of these projects are not going to grow into standalone companies. They're going to be a facet of another company or a product innovation for something that already exists, right? So really think about you're going to, you're, the problem you want to solve, how do you want to solve it? How do the economics work and what's the final end state? I feel many of the, the, um, the, the developers that struggle don't have this clear path from start to finish. And this is one of those things that we're looking for when we evaluate companies as well. The last thing I would say is if you want to disrupt the financial ecosystem, 
you need to you need to understand the existing rules so you know how to disrupt. I find a lot of projects where the the team is extremely intelligent but doesn't have a firm grasp of the underlying financial financial basics even not only financial markets. So they're trying to innovate and disrupt a market that they don't necessarily understand. Now, that's that's not a, a intelligence thing, that's just a knowledge thing, right? So I think you need to start enlisting. If you're, if you're really serious about disrupting the world of finance, I think you really need to start enlisting some financial professionals to at least advise. And I'll just give you a quick, how I got into this space. I've been advising Tracy and Wendy, who, who are my partners in Astari Ventures, for over a year for free because I was so interested in learning about the web tree, tree space and I saw this as an opportunity to learn and they saw it as an opportunity to learn as well and, and lean on my experience. And so I think there's plenty of TradFi people who are looking to get into to get into this space and would be willing to give up their time even for free. And I think many of these founders should use that or take advantage of that. Thanks, appreciate that. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, just a closing note. So I've been in this space for over two years. After being in on Wall Street for twenty years, I'm I, I wake up more excited every day being in this space. I I made the decision consciously to move because I feel this is the future, and I'm just excited. Even in a bear market where prices are lower, I know and been deep down the things that we're building here and the, and the changes that are being made are the future, and I'm just excited to be a part of it. Thank you so much for joining this episode of SustainerDAO Non-Fungible Talk. This show is brought to you by SustainerDAO, a decentralized protocol that promotes social progress, environmental balance, and economic growth with blockchain technology. I'm your host, Clarice Chiu. And I'm your host, Ling Ning. If you like the content, subscribe and give us a follow on Twitter at SustainerDAO. We also have premium content, including blockchain research, member-exclusive events, and more with NFT Pass Access. For more information, please visit our website, diesel.org.